Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily Talk Sport show. We bring you a special episode this Friday as we were joined by England manager Gareth Southgate. No topic was off limits as we questioned him on England's chances at Euro 2024, criticism of England's recent failures and Jordan Henderson's move to Saudi Arabia. England manager Gareth Southgate has joined us in the studio. Mr Southgate, good morning. Good morning, how are we doing? <laughs> we're surviving. <laughs> That's pretty good at? to you, know that one. <laughs> you seem very happy, Mr Pierce. I, I like the guy, I like his company, you know, I, I do. Isn't that nice to know, Gareth? We've spent a few hours in a, in a f- few dressing rooms and a few hotels and a couple of bars and so, yeah. Indeed. Okay, yeah, you indeed. call it the gate. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. gate. Yeah. Gareth, you'll always be Gareth to me. Uh, did I hear you say, I just live along the road from here, just beside the Tate Modern. Did I hear you say you're out jogging this morning? I did. I stayed down in London. I was in with England Rugby yesterday. And um, so I stayed down to see you this morning. Had a run along the Thames, did it early, so I didn't get too much stick. And uh, But yeah, beautiful along there. Yeah. Do, you, do you get stick? I do. <laughs> you're on this show and you're asking me, do I get stick? <laughs> I mean, you're you're popular with, with with fans of almost all the clubs, are you not? You're popular as England manager. They love you, do they not? Uh, look, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? You know, when uh, when you're in my role, uh, you accept that you pick teams, you make decisions that some people are going to be happy with, some people aren't. Um, we have to win matches, so yeah, the job is what it is. You, you, you're it's hard to unify everybody because everybody's got a view on, particularly maybe a a favourite player at their club that they see every week that they maybe don't see the full picture that we do. Um, so that's part and parcel of the job, but I'm, you know, I've been doing it long enough now to understand it. And you love it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's been an absolute privilege. I've, I had 10 years playing with England. Um, we're now sort of 10 years back coaching in, in different guises. So it's been an enormous part of my life and I'm hugely proud to do it. Out the two, which one do you prefer, the playing or what you've done now and the influence that you've had? Yeah, that's a good question, really, uh, because, you know, when I was uh, so high, my dream was always to play for England mm. and you never really think that's going to happen until you get yeah. uh, to where we did. So that was a life's ambition. It wasn't a life's ambition to be the England manager because it's coaching was something I went into later. But it's been fulfilling in a different way, mm. and um, yeah, you you were the same when you were working with England. You wanted to make English football better. That's yeah. why I went back to the Football Association, um, and that's still part of the plan. It's not just what we're doing with the team now, but what what's happening with the junior teams and everything that mm. we've tried to put in place at St George's Park. So mm. we don't just want England to be challenging now. We want the next ten years to look as as the last three, four, five years have. Of um, course, and, and they've been doing well. I mean, the under-21s are evidence of that. So, Gareth, we were in Qatar, of course we were. Our show with Simon came live from Qatar every morning, 10 to 1. Eight months on from that World Cup and the quarterfinal exit, how much reflecting have you done? Well, we did a lot 
in the immediate aftermath. Um, and then, of course, you're on to the next challenges because we're, we were into qualifying and we had to go to Italy and prepare for a you know, high-level opponent away from home, which are the sorts of games we haven't nailed. So... Um, or not, haven't nailed as regularly as we, we we would want to if we were going to be the best team in the world. So, um, yeah, I haven't over the last few months talk, thought too much about the World Cup in our head. We're on to the next challenge. Um, but my feelings aren't much different to they were walking off the pitch that night. You know, when I watched the games back and watched all of the tournament back and reflect on it, I, I, I feel pretty much as I did then. We We performed at a good level. Um, I think our performances during the tournament were a step up from where we'd been. We won the games we should win. Um, and in the end, we should have beaten France on the flow of that game. And all the stats from that game would say it's a game we should have won. So um, I think people responded well to how we'd played. But from our side, um we thought it was an acceptable tournament. We weren't coming back doing cartwheels about it. Um, it was acceptable. Yeah. It was acceptable. You won the games that you should have won. Yeah, I would. I would. I would and, say. And so. maybe the ones that you might have expected to be up against it, but you didn't win. Is that fair? Is that fair? I mean, well, do you worry your legacy will end up being a glorious failure? Um, I, I think that defend, depends on how you define success, because where the team were in 2016 and the sort of team that we went with in 2018 and um, to get as far as we did in 2018 and people will talk about the opposition and we didn't you know we didn't we didn't beat Belgium but when we played Belgium we'd already qualified and when we played them again it was a third fourth playoff where we'd played only two days before so yeah so the, the we're, you'll always be judged as an England manager on the the how you go on in tournaments and the games where you go out, there'll be a, a, an analysis at a level that's beyond anything that any club is going to have. Um, we've, of course, analysed all of that um, and we've improved as we've gone on. You know, we improved from that World Cup in Russia to the Euros. I think we were able to change and be more on the front foot in uh, in this World Cup. Mm. The, the profile of the team is changing and evolving. Team is still improving. Um, that's all we can aim to do. We, we've got to keep aiming to get better. And if you're in those latter stages, in the end, England will win a tournament. So, so, so is it more about progression than actually winning a trophy, Gareth? You, you say that if, you, if you're thereabouts at the end, one of those times you're going to nail a tournament and win it. That's what you've been trying to mm. do. It's, yes, progression is extremely important, but winning's everything. No, of course. In the end, you have to win. To be judged as a success, you have to win. Um, but you, you've got to take steps towards winning. In, at any club, in any team, you don't go from we were 14th in the world to winning overnight. It can happen by chance, but normally the teams that win World Cups are... Have, have had big results over a period of time. Argentina were South American champions. Spain, when they won, were consistent winners. France have been ranked high for a number of years. We're now in that bracket of teams. Of course, I know in the end, some people will say, if you don't win a trophy, that's it. But you know, we've only got three opportunities across six years to win a tournament. Um, at a club, you've got three or four trophies every year to go for. So yeah. it's a slightly different situation, but I accept that's the landscape as it is. What what made you stay on in the job post-Qatar? Because there was talk you might go. And I know you discuss it with your family. Mm. You, I no doubt discuss it with this fella to my right. Yeah. What, what was key to your decision which led you to stay? The The players we felt were improving that we could see the evolution of the team. Um, you know, in the end, the most important thing is are the players and staff buying into what you're doing and do we think we can still make a difference and, and make the team a success? So the only doubt in my head at, ahead of that tournament was on the back of the previous summer. Yeah. Um, the the sort of criticism that came, it's not the criticism that bothered me, That's that goes with this job. But if that criticism starts to affect the performance of the team and starts to inhibit the team, 
then it's maybe time. I've seen that with managers where maybe it's time to allow the team to go uh, and you need to lift that pressure off them. Understood, but that time hasn't come. The man who's normally in here with me, Gareth, not here today, Simon Jordan, and you cannot please everybody. You can't can't please him all the time. Uh, This is, is his take, I think, as to where you've got at this moment. I think he's done a respectable job. And I don't think he's I don't think it's a famine and I don't think it's a feast. I think he's a very average, steady individual that will maintain a very decent relationship with the media, that will create a camp that players want to play in because they're young players, they respect playing for their country, and he's built an environment up. But I also want my England manager to be a winner. And that's where my distinction differs and that's where we diverge rather than converge. We've got a generation of players on that pitch that should be able to win a tournament. And I guarantee you we'll go to Germany and we'll perform admirably. But we won't be coming back with the European Championship. He says you're not going to do it. No, he's entitled to his opinion. What? How, how do you react to that if you ever hear a clip of Simon? Do you think, oh, it's up to him? Or, no, that's unfair. Or, no, he doesn't get what we're trying to do. Where are you with it? Well, you, you can only answer that by winning. So in the end, if that's the only assessment of anything, then you have to accept as a football manager, you've got to get into that winner's enclosure. Now, um, only one international team can win. And as I said, you've got one opportunity every two years to do that. So um, if in the end that's that's the judgment, that, that is what it is. We obviously hadn't been to a final for 50, 60 years. So we've managed to do, you know, take myself out of it but these players have managed to give the country some incredible nights over the last few years and their the appreciation of what they have done I think is important because there was a lot of fear around playing for England and and they've managed to be a really good version of themselves in an England shirt you you saw this summer the freedom they played with the enjoyment they have coming together so I of course in the end as a manager you want to win and I know I've got to prove that now uh, w- what makes a winner? Y- you've got to get over the line in those big matches in the end. I- I've not got a track record coming into this job. Everybody knows the route coming into the job. I was a manager at 35 at Middlesbrough, way before I was ready. Um, uh, taking the under-21s, I was best placed to help out the team when Sam left. We had a week before the next game. Um, and there was logic to going with what I had, but what I wasn't coming in with was a CV like Capello or Ericsson where they'd won major trophies coming into it. So I'm still, I was still growing and learning. I've now five, six years on managed some of the biggest games in world football and learned and improved a huge amount. You know, I'm sure if Simon reflected on his steering of Crystal Palace, he would be a better owner now than he was when he was there because he's learned from what happened and and that's what we have to do so i know the steps that i have to take to prove to people that you know you're you're deemed as a winner the reality is unless you lift a trophy you're not going to be viewed that way doesn't mean that i don't think i can do a very good job as a football manager and doesn't mean that um i've got a lot more confidence in the way that we work and uh the detail of what we do and the tactical way that we play um, than when I took over six, seven years ago. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. I saw one message go through there from Willie, and you can guess it. Willie's a Scotsman. What are you doing in there with these two? Says <laughs> Willie. <laughs> Willie, that's not lost on me, incidentally. Don't worry about that, but I'm delighted to be in studio with Stuart Pierce and with Gareth Southgate. Will we'll we talk Scotland another day, Gareth? Well, we're, we? we're up there in September, aren't we? We play you in uh, Don't at, worry, at I've, all, I've always put the gauntlet down okay. already to him this morning. <laughs> I know you are, Gareth. Do me a major favour, mate, would you? Lose. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not asking too much, am I? I think it's the game that our former chairman agreed to and has kindly left us with. So, of course, as an England manager, you can't wait to go to Hamden Park for a friendly, can you? It's, uh, but How do you see those games, by the way? It was live in talk sport. When I first started, it was the Rouse Cup at the end of the 80s and whatever, and we used to play Scotland home yeah. and away sort of uh, yeah. yearly. Yeah. No, I think they're great games, aren't mm. they? They're unique games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we went to Hamden... Uh, World Cup qualifiers for for Russia, uh, two two. We were one nil up 
going quite well. Lee Griffiths got two unbelievable free oh, what kicks. what a game and, that uh, was, yes. Roof would have come off the place if it had one. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that was an incredible atmosphere, as good as I've known. Um, mm. And... Uh, yeah, so for us, it's a good game, and Steve Clark's doing a brilliant job. Hasn't he's, he done he's well? Got yeah, the team going yeah. really well. Well, I was in here with Jordan and Murphy the other day after Scotland yeah. beat Spain, yeah. uh, which meant next to nothing to them, as they were only too quick to tell me. But it was a great result. It's a hell of a result for Scotland, yeah. Gareth, isn't yeah. it? No, he's really the, the team are playing well. Yeah, uh, they're picking up big results. So. Yeah, for us, it'll be a really good test going up there. Good. So uh, do what you can and uh, let us beat you. <laughs> we will. Um, Gareth, so all roads lead to the Euros next summer. We immensely look forward to it in Germany. Do you dream about getting into the winner's enclosure there? Is this? Do you feel in your bones this is going to be the time? This is going to be the occasion that we win it? Uh, that, that's the challenge for us. Um you know, we we know now that we're in in amongst that group of teams that we believe can. Um, you, you've you've got the objective of winning it, and then you've got to take a step back and you know remind ourselves, okay, we've still got to qualify, and then you've got to go through the processes of um, once you get there. But th- that's what we're challenging the team with now. We know how far we've got. We know that. They've, we've we've got to semi-finals. We've got to a final. If we can do those things, therefore we can win because you're just one step away. We were one goal away from being European champions. So, um, so we know we're capable. But you've got to piece all those things together. I have to say, you know, in in some respects, I wish it was tomorrow because I think the team are in a really good place. Our last four performances away in Italy, Ukraine, home. Okay, the two in the summer, lesser lesser opponents, but really strong performances. So I feel as if the team are, uh, are in a good place, good depth, good competition for places, some good young ones coming through to challenge. Um, but we've got another year and uh, you know who knows what the next year holds for all of those individual players and where we'll be form-wise. I, I think people underestimate putting building blocks in any football organisation or any organisation anywhere in the world. When mm. I first joined the, the FA's 2007 I think it was we had no culture of winning at any age group from the seniors right down to the under 15s under 16s no culture of winning and you look at that and the first thing I did was sat down and I thought let me have a look at Spain France and Germany at senior level and see what their younger teams have done all of them were winning at younger age groups at the age of four years earlier six years earlier, before France won in 98, their under-21s were champions and their younger age groups. Same with the Germans, uh, you know, in 2010. When they picked the World Cup up, they had a culture of winning at younger age groups. So I don't think you can underestimate what England have done in this last 10-year period, to be quite Mm. honest with you, at all age groups. I see where you're going with it. So now the expectation's enormous. Having yeah. knocked on the door, as you have done, mm. as you have done, now there's there's a huge expectation and desire amongst the England support. Gareth and the boys go there and win. So that's what you're going to try and do. Undoubtedly, that's what you're going to try and do. Many, many people getting in touch saying, Jim, ask them this, ask them that about players. So let's talk specifics if we can, Gareth, for a moment or two. Raheem Sterling left out the squad in the summer after talks with your good self. What does he need to do to force his, his way back in? Well, it, it just recapture the form that, that he had when he was at Manchester City. Um, I think change of club last year, um, very difficult season for everybody at Chelsea Football Club for, from from the owners right the way th- through the club, I would have said. So um, uh, hard for, uh, I'm not sure any players there excelled last year. Um, and the challenge for all of them, they've got a new manager who's very experienced. I'm sure we'll get the best out of players. So... Um, we know what Raheem's capable of. He's been one of our most important players over the four or five years, scored some of our most important goals on some of our biggest nights, been uh, an important um, character around the squad, one of the older ones who helps the younger ones to settle in when they come through the door. Yeah. Um, so he knows he's up against, you know, where he was eschewing to be selected as first choice for quite a long period. He knows that Bukayo Saka and... Marcus Rashford, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, that there's competition in that area of the pitch at a really high level. That's without talking about some of the younger ones that are coming through. So, But we need that competition because most months you haven't got all of those players available. So, so we want that competition. It's never a headache for me to have 
good players in form to pick from. The the bigger headache is maybe five six years ago where we were scrambling around for you know consistent holding midfield player for example where we we played Eric Dyer in there for a number of years and um, we we didn't have um, considered back up to Eric until we managed to get Declan mm. Rice with us and we put Declan in at nineteen so right we, we've got competition now. And it's harder for the younger ones to come in. You know, previously we pushed the younger ones in early because we felt that gave us depth. They they needed to gain experience. For a lot of them, each game, you know, Declan in particular, each game with England was the biggest game of his life. He's now thirty odd caps. He's now had a lot of big matches with us. He's now had a European final with his club. He's lifted a trophy. He's had a club come and pay a fortune for him his own confidence and belief will be at a different level to sure. where he was. Sure. So sure. That, that's mirrored by so many of our players. Mm. How, how does that, you, you spoke about Declan on the ascendancy, how important is your job when you've got someone like who probably followed that trajectory in Calvin Phillips, got the, the move that he wanted, then all of a sudden things haven't gone well for him this year. Mm, the importance of an international manager and the conversations that you have with Calvin. Yeah, I mean, I think you can support and you can challenge. And what what is the importance of Calvin? If you look at, if you want to play with a single pivot and, and you take Declan out of the mm. equation, Calvin is one of the few in the country playing in that position mm. that, that yep. has all the attributes needed to do it. We've got other profiles of midfield players, but they're, they're slightly different. Mm. So he, he's an important player for us. It's why we kept selecting him when... He wasn't playing with his club um, and that's always going to be criticised when you do that because ideally you want your players playing regularly at the highest possible level. But also, on in some areas of the pitch, that would have ruled him out. You know, if he was a winger, we'd have had other wingers playing yeah. regularly that would have gone ahead of him. Yeah. In that holding midfield position, there aren't a lot of players in the league playing at the level that we need. Do you think there's... Sorry, Jim. Go on, sure. Do you think there's an understanding with, with people about... I think they see things in isolation. They see International Week and they think, well, why has he picked him? He's not playing for his club. Mm. It's not as easy as that, is it? You know, you've mm. got to back players sometimes when they're not playing for their clubs and not doing so well because they've done so well over a long period of time for the country. Like a Harry Maguire situation. Yeah, well, well one of the you, things You is, constantly pick him. Well, you need to know, can they perform at the level, first of all? So with those lads, we know in the biggest matches, under pressure which is our world, they've been able to perform. Now, ideally, you want them playing every week in the big games for their clubs because you can assess their form more easily, you can compare them more easily to others. But also, we're watching everybody and we see how they are in their big games and we see how they are against the very best players, not not just any game, but where are they on those big nights where they're really tested because that's that's the environment they're coming into with us. So it, it's if, if we're picking the Olympic relay team we can just pick the first four fastest as long as they can hold the baton I suppose (laughs) and and it's dead simple when you're picking a football team it's a little bit more complicated yeah in 30 seconds can you I I, I would have thought Gareth you'll be happy when you know where Harry Kane is going to be playing his football this season will he stay at Tottenham or will he be in the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich Will, will you be more comfortable when you know where Harry ends up it actually it doesn't concern me because wherever he is He's he's an outstanding player, and he'll he'll have a good season, and he'll score a load of goals. So, I think it's more of a dilemma for the player, the club. What do they do financially? You know, he's he's at a certain point of his contract where can you afford not to take the money, or can you afford, you know, can you afford to lose the player? That's the difficult thing for for the people running the football club and yeah. th- there are a few situations like that always in the transfer window aren't there you could maybe take your England manager's hat off for a moment and be my talk sport co-host would it be a shame for the Premier League to lose Harry Kane well you, you want you want the best players playing in the league if you if you possibly can as if, if you're a fan of uh, of the Premier League I mean but, Jude's gone but, to Real Madrid yeah we're not short of outstanding players and for me English players playing abroad is a is a good experience for them. You know what what Jude is going to experience the the pressure of playing at a club like Real Madrid, where you have to win every week and you're playing with those outstanding players. You're training with them every day. You're having to mature by living abroad, as he has at Dortmund. 
I don't see a downside in that. So for years, we've never had players going abroad. We've got a few more going abroad now to Italy, to Germany, now to Spain. Um, so I think that's good for their individual development and they've got their own careers. And so England is always a consequence of what they do with their clubs in the end. You know, they... Um, it's not for me to dictate where they go, where they play. We'll assess where they are. We won't rule people out. We've never ruled anybody out because of the league they play in. We rule them out on the comparison with the other players in their positions. Right. One league, a few of them might end up playing in, is the Saudi Pro League. We'll talk about that next. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Just on Harry Maguire, does your heart go out to Harry that he can get a kick at the ball seemingly at United, but he can with you? Well, we're not in a world where you know we we cuddling and heart heartfelt <laughs> situations. You know, we're in a the, the tough world of professional football. So, um, well, put it this way: does it baffle you? Well, no, because he's got two World Cup winners in the in the team ahead of him. You know, Varane and uh, Martinez are top top level players. So, um, when you're at the big clubs, um, you're you're always going to be challenged. They're going to sign players every summer. You've got to compete for your position. Uh, and you've got to take that battle on. And of course, if you're Manchester United, you want good backup as well because you know you're going to get injuries. They've got Champions League football as well as trying to push for the Premier League. Um, so I'm sure they will be comfortable about Harry staying as backup or being in the team or mm. whatever. However, that fight ends up. Um, and then if he's not in the team, then he, he's got a decision to make as to whether he, he can go and play regular football somewhere else. Put England aside, the first, the start point for any player is um, are they fulfilled in their job? You know, most players yeah, want to yeah. play every week. Yeah, so, yeah. so if he stays at United, Gareth, and still doesn't play on a regular basis, you'll still select him. If he gets a move somewhere else and starts playing, you'll still select him. Well, that's not as straightforward as that because it depends on how other players at other clubs are playing. So... I can never guarantee a player that we're going to pick them. Now, we have to this point because the comparable with the other other players in those positions in terms of experience, in terms of qualities with the ball, in terms of the aerial presence and the balance and the the relationship that him and John Stones have had over a long period of time, it, it's a partnership that's worked brilliantly for us. So we, we recognise that, but there's always new challenges coming through. There are some good young centre-backs coming through that are slowly picking up experience and that, that that is going to be the challenge moving forward. I think you touched on it just then. I was just going to ask the question about the importance of having options at the heart of the defence. You know, it's a position that you played um, 
and probably it's one position that that probably over time we we as English fans really would hope that there's more selection problems that you're going to have at the heart of defence. So did it buoy you up a little bit, the two boys in the summer with the 21s, how well yeah. they done? Yeah, very good. I mean, of course, a different level of football, but mm. we, we knew that. We went there to get to know the players better, to be able to see them in that pressured environment. We thought both of them did very well. Taylor Harwood-Bellis, Levi Colwell. Uh, Levi, well, both had had good seasons with their club, albeit one in the championship um, Levi at Brighton had an excellent season. You know, Brighton had a brilliant season. The way they played, the style of play. He's got a, a different challenge this year. You know, can he get into Chelsea's first team? And he's still a very young player. So yeah. he's progressing brilliantly. We don't want to be putting all the pressure on him to be the, the next one. Um, but it's interesting now with Mark Gurry coming through as well um, and one or two others that... Yeah, yeah, we do need that competition. I know that you. Sorry, mm. I know that you and Steve Holland went out to watch the tournament. Mm. How hands-on were you within the training camp, around the training camp, and did you at any time feel as though I don't want to put pressure on the group by being sort of there all the time in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We weren't hands-on. So Lee Carsley ran that tournament brilliantly. He had Ashley Cole with him, yeah. Julian Lescott, Tim Dittmer. They, they did a brilliant job. Um, created a really good environment for the players. I thought they played with a, a really good style. Um, so our job was to to be there to support, but get out the way, mm. really, because it's hard. You know, if you're yeah. the players or the staff and the England manager bowls in, inevitably there's a little bit of a shift in how everybody feels. That You took the under-21s, you had a great atmosphere when you were there, mm. and new people coming in changed the dynamic. Yep. But mm. but we, what we wanted to do was for the staff and players to be comfortable with us being there. Yeah, yeah. Because the, eventually, players and staff might come and work with us. You know, we've promoted staff in the past from our junior age groups because they've got tournament experience. And when the f- players come with us, and a, and a few of them have been anyway, Emil Smith Rowe had been in our squads. Uh, Levi had been in that summer. Mm. You know, we want them to feel okay. It, this isn't something new. We train at St George's Park. If the first team need a couple of players, we've been over training. Sure, and if you're relaxed about it. And that it. transition yeah. needs to be as smooth as it can be. So, Gareth, now that he's joined the Saudi Pro League, can you pick Jordan Henderson again? Well, I've spoken with Jordan this summer. Um, he, Stuart had him as captain at under 20, and that's one level. He knows the qualities he has, and he knows how much playing for England means to him. Um the question he wanted to know was, if I move here, are you going to automatically rule me out? Well, we'd be stupid to do that. Why Why would we rule any player out just based on where they're playing? We've got to see how they're playing and at what level they're playing and how they are physically and everything else. So, um, But people so will say us, he's gone to a substandard league. Well, the fact is we've got an idea of what that league might look like. What's but, yours? But, but we but we don't actually know until we start to see the games. You know, if if you'd said three months ago, what would that look like? Um, I'd have had a very different view to what it's looking like as more and more players are signed to go there. Big name players, not not so many players right in the prime of their career, but not players that are past their sell by date. So uh, I think that whole project is fascinating for for where it's going to head and what that might look like over the next couple of years. But it isn't the Premier League. We won't see him playing in Champions League football, which is the easiest assessment for us for the level he's playing at. Mm. And he knows the players that he's competing with. So that that's the challenge for all of them. Can, can you understand the criticism that's come Henderson's way, Gareth, after being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community? And now he's gone out there and yeah. taken the money. Yeah, and I think I think he knows that that's coming. So I think he he is fully aware of that. Of course, when you're deciding as a football player what your next move is, there are a lot of things that come into consideration. Not least, what what was the role going to be at Liverpool? You know, was he going to be playing regularly or not at Liverpool? How long left on the contract? Mm. Maybe Liverpool getting a fee like they have for a player of his age is also good business in the long term for them. I think it's good business. I mean, anything to do with Saudis, Gareth, because of the money on offer, is good business. If, if you're if you're selling or if you're like Jordan getting involved in it but we know how the players felt about being in Qatar 
and we know how they publicly demonstrated what they felt about playing a World Cup in Qatar. You're a statesman of the game. Does Henderson going to Saudi sit well with you, the England manager? Well, it's not for me to judge any individual, whether they're in football or in any other industry. As to but there's hypocrisy uh, here, isn't there? Well, I don't think he's. I don't think he's changing his view on what he believes in. So um, now we're in a really complex world where what, what what are we saying? Nobody should go to Newcastle, or nobody should go for one of the many companies that the Saudis own in London, or we shouldn't buy oil from the Saudis, you know? So it, it, I think it's very complicated. I completely understand the argument of, you know, you've supported uh, the LGBTQ community and I can understand why they would have a really strong view on it. And Well, Thomas Hitzelsberger, remember, he, he came played, out some I years ago. Thomas, of yeah. course, you played with him yeah. at Villa. He says, regards Henderson, you, know, you only want an ally, like Henderson was, to that community, who will be with you through thick and thin. Now I know what he's meaning, don't you? Well, I do, but but I uh, I think it's so difficult to say. You know, it is Henderson saying he doesn't support that community anymore. Well, no, he isn't. But of course, people are going to say his actions are, you know, the reverse of that. So, look, in the end, I, I, it's hard for me to answer. I'm not the one that's taken that decision. <laughs> he, he, at some point, I'm sure, is going to need to explain that decision will be interviewed as to what his thinking was why he, you know how he feels about it um and in the end everybody's got to be responsible for the decisions that they make in their life it's not for me to judge i, I wouldn't judge either of you uh, on where you worked or what you did i'd have a view but you've got to be comfortable with your own decisions when you put your head on the pillow and what that means for you your family and where else you can go and I think players have a lot to consider. Clearly, finance in this situation has has been a huge factor. There's there's no escaping that for all of the players that have gone there. Yeah, the, the league wouldn't be attracting the level of players it has without the finance. It's just that that's the same guitar. with the Premier League, though. Of course, I remember your England players stood up for what they believed in, and now after what Henderson's done in going to Saudi, footballers Gareth might just go back to being footballers. Well, I don't think they will. I think people still have beliefs and they will still try to support those beliefs. We we weren't comfortable with the fact that, you know, the day of the game we were having arguments about whether we could wear an armband or not. That should have all been resolved way before we got to Qatar, really. Does the fact that we we didn't wear an armband mean we care any less about that topic? No, not at all. You know, we want inclusivity. We want um, diversity. We want everybody to feel connected to the game. So, I, I suppose there's a question for everybody on what are gestures and what are the core values and what you stand for and what you do. And in the end, the actions speak loudly. Mm. Um, mm. That that's the dilemma Jordan's got now. He's he's made a decision to go and play there, which some will view as being in in conf conflict with what he stood for, but. That, that, that is one view and there are, there are alternative views to of that of course Stephen Jarrod I think said no to start with and then has said yes and we'll manage Henderson and our Etifac out there say you go to the Euros next summer and you win say you go and you don't win either which way if the Saudis came in and offered you a bag of money would you go Gareth? I don't think you can really answer that question until that, that scenario is in front of you because it would be easy for me to dismiss it and, and say no or, or to say well it, it wouldn't be easy to say yes because there's so much you'd have to think about so um, that's not it, a no well because I don't think anybody in their right mind can honestly answer that until they're right in that position I, I might have a view now and I could and I could give you an easy answer to get get myself off the hook and take any pressure and get everybody to go oh well, that's fine but the reality of that is, until you got in that situation, by the way, it's not something I'm looking to do. <laughs> but I'm just right. saying... And, and, and if, you, if you were, is there anyone in this room you would take as an assistant <laughs> just while we're on the subject, you know? <laughs> but on a, on a serious note, Gareth, if more England players who come into your consideration when you pick squads are to end up where Henderson's ended up, is it a problem? Well, I think the bigger question there would be, 
Um, from your selection point of view? No, but I think the bigger question would be if that's happening, then the league is going to be very strong. So there'll be a reason. Why is everybody in the Premier League? Because of the money. Why was everybody looking to go to Serie A in the 80s? Because it was the best paid league. So, you know, all these players are not coming from around the world to England because they love running along the Thames like I did this morning. <laughs> right. They're here for professional reasons and, yeah. the, and the money's better than anywhere else. In fact, so if everybody's going to Saudi, it will be because the, the, the league is financially strong and I think it's really interesting where that heads in the next couple of transfer windows because... Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, it's still, okay, is it going to be like China was maybe a couple of years ago where they invested heavily for a period of time and then it didn't quite mm. emerge? Yeah. That, that, nobody really knows where this is heading. They tell us, the Saudis, they're here to stay. Of that, there's no doubt. Stuart, you get your factor 50 ready, mate. You get out there. I'm ready. With or without Gareth? I, I love travelling, you know that. <laughs> That's all I'm prepared to say at this stage. What's the capital of Saudi? And my wardrobe me, needs updating. <laughs> give me time to think. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. This will prove that we're live, won't it? So it's Jim White, it's Gareth Southgate and it's Stuart Pearce. Gareth, here we go. This is coming from a Scotsman imploring you to do this. So many questions coming in. So today, Gareth is going to be in studio to, to 12. Can I push you? Can you stay until 12.15? Yep, no problem. No Look problem. at that. That's a proper manager That's of a, a proper <laughs> country. End of. Steve Clark would have gone to 12.30, having he said He would that. have been gone by now. I'll tell you what, he <laughs> made on, his my, apologies my, my phone, at 11.30. My phone's ringing. Maybe the wife's telling me I better <laughs> yeah. go. So. Uh, no, Gareth, I appreciate it because we, we have a lot to get through. Um, you're quite comfortable with everything that's been thrown at you, clearly. Uh, well, I wouldn't uh, say comfortable, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, well, you're addressing every point and many points coming through from the listeners. And the, and the most important thing in all of this uh, are the listeners. Uh, many, many England fans listening. I mean, uh, I think, uh, Mark, am I right? In Port Talbot, you're Welsh. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm so enjoying this interview with Gareth Southgate. Great interview. Difficult questions from you, Jim. But uh, Gareth, as honest as ever. One thing you said, I don't want you to blow smoke up this fella's backside, but one thing you get from Gareth, amongst mm. other things, is honesty. I, th I think what he offers is a level of honesty and, and probably why, in all honesty, why I respect him and the job that he does. He cares about what he stands for and the organisation he represents. And that's something that... that I think every national manager should. You should be a statesman for, for yeah. your country as well as anything else. Well, having said that you'll stay on that bit longer, I'm going to read a couple more. There's Darren, a Tottenham and England fan. Jim, please point this out. The most important thing that Gareth has done, as far as we are concerned, is bring the players back to the fans. We feel part of the whole setup again now. This is a great bonus for everybody listening on TalkSport today. Thank you. That was. Were, were you aware of that, Gareth, when you went in? We've got to get these guys, my players, more identifiable with the people who love them. Yeah, there's no question. That that was, I think, the biggest challenge um, and the first thing we had to address because we, we can't go anywhere. It's pointless. We, why do we play for England? We play for everybody that's listening today. So if there isn't a connection there, then, then we're lost. It doesn't mean anything. So to to have had some of the nights we've had and be able to share them with the fans is hugely important. I think, I, I actually think players, you know, you know, we played in a team where we were unbelievably proud to represent England and I, and I think every generation has, but I don't think they've always got it across to the supporters and I, and I think it's an easy thing to say, ah, oh, the players don't care. I, I don't think that's ever been the case, but I think what this team have been able to do and maybe things like social media help this, you, you get a bit more of an insight into what's going on at the training camp. You get a bit more of an insight into how they get on with each other. Um, they're definitely very close. They've got relationships from our junior teams. They've got club relationships where they've moved around to different clubs um, and they go on holidays together. And so, so that's genuine. That's as they are. There's, there's no contrived, you know, I know a, a lot of stuff on social media can be mm. made to look how people want you to see their lives, but that that's how these boys are. I, I think there's a misconception that, you know, I'll go back to the Euro 96 team and there's a misconception that everyone was so proud to play for the country. And yes, there was, 
But the next generation of players weren't so proud and whatever because the likes of Tony Adams and myself were beating our chest like cavemen coming up the thing. <laughs> you think that there's a real clamour to be sort of patriotic and whatever. It's not the case. You're telling me the people like Joe Hart and Henderson and Stones and Maguire are not passionate to yes. play for their yeah. country yeah. and Pickford. Yeah. I won't have it said. But, but we but love also... you guys, Gareth. I mean, I went to Gordon McQueen's funeral the other mm. day up in uh, past Middlesbrough, yeah. of course. And I just remember Gordon being someone who got me out of my chair and I was so proud to be Scottish. I was so proud to be watching McQueen. Now, England fans feel exactly the same about you guys, but you get it, Gareth. And that's why you thought, I'm going to make these these fellas my squad players. They're superstars, for God's sake. Bellingham mm. and others. I'm going to make them much more identifiable with the people who matter the fans. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's not all down to me, by the way. That's That's down to how they are as people. So we did some things within the FA where definitely our comms team, for example, were more open with, with the media. Because in the end, when we're talking to you guys, we're talking to the fans. That, that's what we're doing. So I think this generation of players get that. They are as they are. You know, they, we have got some really good, humble players that, that are superstars, you know, and it would be easy for them to behave differently. And don't get me wrong, they, they have their moments. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but the fact is they're, they're relatable and that matters to people when they're watching the national team. It's the same watching the cricket boys at the moment. You know, the way that people go about it, the way they play, you know, they've just drawn a series, but everybody's thrilled to bits with what they've seen and how mm. they've played and how they've represented. Ben Stokes is an absolute legend, isn't he? So... You know, every England team that plays, that's what I want to see. That's what I said to our rugby players yesterday. Which manager have you learnt the most from? What have you taken from one particular guy and you thought, I'm going to use that? Uh, I, I would say, it, from an England perspective, Venables, really. I mean, Stuart mm. played with him. And, of course, he was he'd been manager of Barcelona before he took us. What did I take? Well, firstly, he was brilliant with the big players. So Gascoigne, who was you know was about as complicated as you could choose, but he 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 found a way of not not getting uptight when he was doing whatever he was doing, getting the best out of him on the pitch. He was tactically outstanding, and I think the other thing he he was prepared to employ really good people around him that challenged him. So Don Howe would challenge him. He had Brian Robson with him. He had mm. Mick Kelly with him, who was outstanding in his generation. And I think as a manager, you've got to employ people around you. I have Steve Holland with me and, and a, a coaching team that are at the highest possible level because you can't do things on your own. You're relying on the team around you. You're relying on good people to, to bring in fresh ideas. And the players need that in every aspect of what we're doing, whether that's the medical team, whether yeah. that's the physical team. Yeah. We need the very best people working with the players. If a player doesn't make your squad, Gareth, he's disappointed. On each and every occasion, do you phone the guy beforehand? Yeah, well, if they've been in the previous squad and and I'm making a decision to leave them out of the next one, then I would do that. If they'd been out of the squad for a little bit longer, that might be different because you know you could spend all day phoning and explaining yourself. And I'm always open to any players, but I think that communication of letting them know Firstly, that you're not taking them, but giving them the explanation as to why and what they need to go away and work at. Mm. I think that's really important. Do they all take that news in the same way? No, of course not. And I'm not expecting anybody to be happy. When I was left out of England teams, you know, I wasn't happy, but I respected the fact that the manager had spoken to me. Um, but what I wanted to know was exactly why, so that I could go away on the training pitch and, and work at it, or, or, or I could go and, and improve myself. I've got a little story, just a quick story here. Terry Venables took over the England uh, squad in 94. I was the England captain at the time. He rang me up and said, uh, you won't be in the starting line-up, Graham Lasso is, I'm going down that route. And... It was that conversation, rather than just leaving me out, that made me say to him, if you think I'm good enough, I'll be in the squad. And he said, OK, fine, yeah. Yeah, you will be. He was hoping I would retire from international football, I'm sure. <laughs> but I was too pig-headed to do that. And then two years later, with an injury, I've got back into a Euro 96 squad. Because of those conversations, and never shutting doors on players. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan.
Gareth, many questions coming in this. Tom in Pontiland. Uh, where is that? Up in the northeast. Near Can Newcastle. Yeah. Near Newcastle. Mm. Can you ask Gareth, Jim, how important is it that the players, when they're standing there pre-match, sing the national anthem with real patriotic verb? Do you, do you say to them, you know, if it's your, if you feel like it, boom it out? We've we've never particularly focused on that. Um, obviously, we we did when we mm. played. There have been players over the years that uh, I've heard Gary Neville say he didn't want to be so hyped up before a game, and he just wanted to stand and think about the game. I, I'm pretty sure most of ours do. Uh, I've, I've I've rarely seen one that that hasn't. Um, so yeah. We would like it. We know it means a lot to people to see it, but I, I'm not going to enforce it if 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 it's not the preparation somebody wants for a game. Sure thing. You boomed it out, didn't you? Yeah, because um, it, it inspired me to be fair to go into the game. Yeah. But yeah. the other side of that is I massively respect other Nash. I, 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 you know, I can, I can honestly say. On occasion, I've sung other national anthems because I found them quite rousing quite as well. Quite catchy. <laughs> yeah, catchy yeah. tunes. Yeah. 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 yeah, I love it. Yeah. You, he never swapped his England jersey with uh, an opponent on the field of play. That, that, is that That's right? correct. Yeah. You've never do yeah. it. For you, Gareth, is it just part of the game when you played? Uh, well, I... Well, at the start, we weren't we weren't allowed to swap because the kit man had changed you. Really? And now they get you know. Go get that jersey. Yeah, back. yeah, yeah. Because you, uh, I think with England we always got two, didn't two. we? So you yeah. could swap one. Yeah. Um, I was never in a rush to swap. I never wanted to give my opponent the th- the thought that you know I was so desperate for his shirt. Hence, I've got a load of shirts at home that are you know full backs and <laughs> I, 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 I should you know I was marking a lot of great centre forwards, Romario and mm. all that, all those who I've I, I just kind of let them go. And of course. <laughs> All, all those that have got my shirt are chuffed to bits that they got mine as well. <laughs> Gareth, on a serious note, one, one question I want to ask this lunchtime is this. Are we too quick to dismiss the person behind the player? You mentioned Gary Neville a few moments ago. Uh, on his show, The Overlap, he recently spoke to Deli Alley. Have a listen. Probably the saddest moment for me was when Mourinho was manager. I think I was 24. And I remember there was one session... Like one morning I woke up, I had to go training. This is when he'd stopped playing me. And I was in a bad place. And I remember just looking in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I was literally staring in the mirror. And I was asking if I could retire now. At 24, you know, doing the thing I love. For me, that was heartbreaking. To even have had that thought at 24 to want to retire. That hurt me a lot. That was another thing that I had to carry. What did you make of that, Gareth, when you heard it? You've obviously heard it. Are we too quick to dismiss the person behind the player? Because a lot of people, when Simon and I were on one morning, people were, were giving us their take on what's happened to Deli Alley? Where's this great player gone? Is it his attitude? What is it? And and then we heard this. Sometimes are we too quick to judge? Well, I think in general people will be. Um, and I think when you're a coach um, or a manager, you have a far better understanding of what's what might be going on in people's lives. So without knowing all of the detail that Delhi gave that day, I had a, a very good idea about his upbringing and the, the challenges that had uh, he'd been through. And I remember, you know, we were talking about Gascoigne earlier, I remember reading his autobiography and him saying that people said I wasted my talent, but actually his view was it was a miracle he got to where he did. Mm. And with some of our boys and the way that their lives have been when they were younger, it is actually a miracle they get as far as they do. And so, of course, it's easy to then say, you know, oh, they're wasting a talent. Or, but, but none of us really know what goes on behind it, closed doors of anybody's life, do they? So I think as, as coaches, you, you try to help, you try to support. What, what pleased me most about hearing Delhi speak was that it was the bit before that that he'd gone into rehab, that he'd recognised this was something that he needed to take control of and and try and get himself back on track and um you know let's hope that he can on a human level first of all get back on track and then the football will come as a part of that i think the job of any coach or any manager is to maximize potential of any individual now you have to do that in varying ways this day and age whether it be on the training pitch encouraging or alternatively, it might be phone calls in the mm. background, you know what I mean? And just saying, is everything okay in your life? That's right. Another perfect example of that, Aaron Ramsdale at Arsenal. I mean, the Premier League, of course, at the best of times, is an absolute cauldron. Mm. And Arsenal trying to 
overhaul Manchester City last season. It very nearly did. But Ramsdale has revealed for the first time, Gareth, that his wife Georgina suffered a miscarriage on a flight back to the UK in January uh, after a break uh, after Qatar. And he says, after the high of climbing to the top of the Premier League table and going off to my first World Cup, my wife and I found out that we were expecting our first child. Mikel Arteta gave me a few days off after the World Cup, so we went on a brief holiday. It was genuinely the happiest time of our lives. And yeah, there's no easy way to say this, but I feel like it's important that people know on the flight home, my wife had a miscarriage. He goes on to say, Gareth, that Mikel Arteta... I mean, only his family, my teammates and Mikel um, knew. That's They are the only group of people that he told. But that Arteta went above and beyond to make sure that he and his family were okay. Mm. And of course, to anyone else, maybe in the pub that day, I tell you who was brilliant last season, Ramsdale, I know he needs to get better. And you're, We're all mm. talking about these players all the time. We don't really know what goes on. Mm. But you guys do. Mm. And it's important that we have a perception of that, is it not? Well, I, I think it would be helpful, but you know, to expect everybody in the ground to really have that view and to say when they've had a few beers, well, hang on a minute, we don't know what's going on at home for that person. I'm not sure that's unrealistic. Realistic, but definitely as managers, you're dealing with more of these types of things than you would think. I wasn't aware of what had happened with Aaron. I actually, that's heartbreaking to hear. I met his wife when we were in Qatar she came to the hotel she'd actually had a, a difficult little spell just before that because the papers put her on the front page for something so um, so it's very sad to hear they've had to, to deal with that post-tournament as yeah, well yeah this is a piece that he himself has written I don't think uh, fans and the general public would actually realise the knocks on the doors that managers get on a daily basis at any football club in the country that are personal issues, mm. irrelevant to football. They'll be absolutely astounded. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's What's been the summer? What's it been like for you? One or two uh, people are just asking, just shoot the time of day with you. Have you been away? Do you get a break? What do you do, Gar? Yeah, so when we finished our games, we went out to see the under-21s play. We've uh, we've had some planning stuff at St George's. I got a couple of weeks holiday. Managed to take a day in at Headingley, which was brilliant. Um, and now we're focusing in on the pre-season games. Of course, they've all been away touring, but we're we've been watching those games, picking them up. We've got a system where we can get those games the morning after they're played. So we're we're back into tracking the players because we play again only sort of three weeks into the season, we've got to pick a squad again. So that, that, that's going to come around really quickly. For sure. And the Lionesses, you're keeping your eye on them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this could be back-to-back tournament wins, couldn't it? How good the, would that be? The, 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 well, they're going to go close without a doubt. Um, I, I never want to put pressure on them because the draw has opened up, but you know you still have to win those games. So... Um, and they've been hit with some pretty significant injuries, but they seem to have dealt with that really well. So they're going well. I, I know the netball girls, my daughter played netball, so she's not a women's football fan. She's a netball fan. <laughs> they're also doing really well down under. They've got a world championship at the moment. And yes. uh, they beat yeah. Australia yesterday. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, it, significant moments for the women's games. Before you go, many, many points being made to me to put to you about Jude Bellingham. First of all, I mean, I met him down the road, Gareth, some years ago when he was playing for Birmingham against Millwall. And I chatted to him afterwards. And that night, he had been magnificent. He was 16 then. Mm. What have you guys got in Bellingham? Well, you've you've met the boy, so you know the personality. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths. You know, he's a, he's a player who, a person who wants to improve, who wants to learn. So he's still got that level of humility, good family support around him. Um, they've made good decisions on his career so you know going to Germany a a big club with big expectation but knew he was going to play pretty much every week so uh, I thought a really intelligent career decision Um, now this next step into you know arguably the biggest club in the world um, that'll bring some callers in I'm sure (laughs) but um, you know now he's got to settle into a dressing room with a different level of player and adapt to a different style of play. And it's going to be interesting. They've played a diamond in the pre-season games. He's played at the tip of the diamond. So that will be new for him. He'll be having to adapt to that. He's got 
Modric and Cruz still there. So there's some outstanding players still in that football club. But it's a brilliant life experience and he's still so young. Absolutely. We'll round off with this. Sure, on you go. One Just a you. quick one. Just rolling the clock forward, when your time as a manager with England's finished, would you consider uh, a role within the FA overviewing everything? Because I think you'd be brilliant at it. I think the FA have missed a trick with probably Sir Ralph and probably Bobby Robson as well. When their time was up, they left the FA. I wouldn't. I would make sure that there was an offer there for you to stay and mm. overview the next generation of coaches, managers, whatever. Would that be something yeah. that interests you? I, I haven't thought too much about that. And I, and I think the one difference you've got now um, in football is you, you've got a technical director that probably wasn't the case mm. in, in those days. And Dan Ashworth and then John McDermott have done mm-hmm. brilliant jobs on that continuity. Yep. So we have got, I think we have had and have got good people in those roles to make sure that the junior teams are covered and the... So, look, uh, I've not really thought about what might be next. I'm always thinking of the next game and the next tournament. Um, And I'll always want to help English football. Wherever I am, I'll always want England to do well. So Mm. I'm I'm bought in on that. But, uh, yeah, I think think we've actually got people who have done a really good job in those roles. So let me put it to you. What would constitute success, real success, in Germany next summer? Well, we're we're back to where we started, aren't we? You know, our, our ambitions to win. And we accept, uh, I think when we started, you know, I'm not sure the team were ready to accept the pressure of of the expectation of winning. But now the level that we're performing at, the trophies that the players have won with their clubs, the big nights we've been through, I think we have to accept that pressure more now. So in, in the end, I'm comfortable with, with talking about that. But... We must never lose sight of the immediate focus of yeah. we've got to qualify, we've got to play well in, in uh, against Ukraine and get the points on the board that get us to Germany first. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back on Monday.